Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. So we're in a series called Family Matters, and we're talking about the fact that family matters, and we're talking about some family matters. So the first week we talked about how God places us in family. Last week we talked about what the culture of that family is going to be, as we talked about what agape love is. And this morning, brace yourself, uh, we're going to talk about communication. Now, yeah, I know, super excited. Uh, Here's what you need to know. I'm going to tell on myself a little bit this morning. And if you're going, John, why should I listen to you if you're going to tell me times you got communication wrong? Let me explain that if anybody ever tells you they always get communication right, they're lying to you, uh, especially if it's somebody in your family. So I'm going to share a couple of, couple of lessons I've learned, and uh, hopefully we'll all get better at communicating in a family context. So according to Webster's Dictionary, we went to the experts. Communication is a process by which information is exchanged between individuals through a common set of symbols, signs, or behavior. Sounds super simple, right? Yeah, absolutely. If it's that simple, why do we struggle? If they're common set of symbols, signs, or behaviors, one of the reasons I think we struggle is we can all interpret some of these symbols differently. Let me give you an example. Don't freak out. Take take it easy, take it easy, take it easy. All right, this, this is a symbol, and I can hear just from your voices how you are interpreting that symbol. So this is a Seattle Seahawks jersey. It's a fan jersey. And so you couldn't, you're not making this better for me, but but you're not lying. You could look at this jersey and go, oh, John really likes his football team and wants to support them. And why shouldn't he? They're leading the division. Am I lying? You could look at me wearing this jersey and go, clearly John didn't have time to do laundry this week. That might also be true. Or you could look at me wearing this jersey and go, John is refusing to assimilate into our church family. He won't identify a California team to support, and so he has chosen to flaunt his Seattle Seahawks in our face. Same symbol, three very different messages. That's why we have to talk about how we're going to communicate to one another. Relationships are fueled by communication. If you don't have connection, agape, and communication, you don't have community. You have proximity. You're just sitting near someone, but you can't be in a family relationship with them. Here's the challenge with communication. Um, According to one researcher, you're going to love this, nearly 75% of communications that are received are interpreted incorrectly. 75% of communications that are received interpreted incorrectly. At the same time, he writes, interestingly, Many people consider themselves good communicators because we know what we mean to say, what we want to communicate, but the numbers don't lie. This is not something we are very good at. And James, the brother of Jesus, is writing about what happens when we let this communication thing go sideways. James 3, 3 through 5, he says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. 
And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Have you ever had something come out of your mouth that lit a fire you weren't expecting? And, and you just keep dumping more words on it, trying to put the fire out, and it's like gasoline, right? That sucker is just burning hotter and brighter and brighter. The fact of the matter is, often we don't know how to use our words well. And I think we as a church family can learn to communicate in a really healthy and a really clear way. I'm not saying we're not doing that. That, that came out of my mouth poorly. That, might, that made it sound like I'm going, I'm going to correct something. No, I just want to share the baseline for healthy communication in a church family. Tom Halliday, uh, one of the pastors at Saddleback Church, wrote a book called The Relationship Principles of Jesus. And he identifies three lessons about communication from both the teachings and the example of Jesus in the Gospels. And I want to share them with you. I'm, I'm going to quickly list the three of them, and then we'll, we'll take some more time and go through each one of them a little more intentionally. This is what he teaches from the teaching and example of Jesus. First, he says, the foundation of communication is trust. Secondly, he says, communication is always from the heart. And three, he says, communication that makes an impact is honest. So let's start with the the foundation of communication is trust. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 record one of Jesus' greatest teachings. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's teaching people what it means to be at home in the kingdom of God. And he's drawing a line of demarcation between what would become the Old Testament and what would become the New Testament. And he's saying, you were were taught a certain way of being. Uh, He might say, you have heard it said, or he might say, it was written. And then he turns and says, but I say to you. So he's saying, there was a way that we governed our relationships according to the law of Moses, but now as you become a new creation, I'm going to give you a new way of relating to one another. And he talks about dealing with anger. He talks about dealing with the opposite sex. He talks about divorce. He talks about forgiveness and compassion. He talks about loving people who are very different than we are. And right in the middle of this conversation, he talks about communication. And this is what he has to say. This is Matthew 5, beginning in verse 33. He says, again, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, don't break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Don't swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. And this is what I want us to catch. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. So in the Old Testament, an oath was, was a quasi-religious invocation that you would make so that people that you were talking to would understand that the promise you were making was unbreakable or that what you were saying was actually true. And so to bring, bring kind of uh, weight to the oath, you would, you would swear in God's name. Like, I, I swear by Yahweh or, or something else that was holy. You could swear by the holy city Jerusalem, by heaven, or by the temple. And it was understood that if you broke that oath because you had invoked those names, that would be a sin. But Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he goes, my people don't swear those kinds of oaths. As a matter of fact, they don't need to make these kinds of promises because my people are going to be a people of integrity, people who speak the truth. 
This is what it means when he says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And watch out because whenever you go beyond that, he says, you are leaving room for the devil to work. That is a sobering statement. In other words, Jesus is saying to us, say what you mean and mean what you say. And if you take nothing else home with you today, this is what I hope you would take, that Jesus' encouragement, his exhortation to us is that we would be a people who say what we mean and mean what we say. And you may go, you know, thanks, Captain Obvious. Um, We all got that. Here's the thing. Just because something is obvious does not mean it's observable. Wait a minute, John. Are you saying that I don't do this? I don't say what I mean and mean what I say? I'm not talking to you. I'm saying most of humanity does not behave toward one another this way. But Jesus is saying anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Why? Because if we are not committed to say what we mean, And if we're not committed to mean what we say, there can be no trust. And where there can be no trust, there can be no unity. Where there is no unity, there is only division. And Jesus said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. So the key to living in a family in terms of community is to be a people who are committed to say what we mean and mean what we say. And this goes against a lot of feels that we carry on the inside. But for me, when I read the second half of what Jesus says, because I don't always want to, I don't always want to tell you what I mean. And sometimes it's easier to just pretend right? Some of us are awesome at Christian profanity. We drop the Christian F word 50 times a day. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? When something inside your soul is going, I am dying a thousand deaths, I need help and I need prayer, but for some reason we don't want to say what we mean because we're afraid of how we're going to be perceived or received by those around us. And Jesus says, John, when you find yourself in that place and you drop that Christian F word and you are not open and honest with those that I have brought you into as a family, you are giving the enemy room to work because you are remaining in your pain and in your frustration and in your dysfunction. So John, you have to be a person who is willing to trust those in whom, with whom I have placed you into a family and communicate honestly about what you are experiencing, what you are feeling, how life is going, or even, and this is the super scary part, how you feel about how others are behaving towards you. Now, when I realize that when I don't do that, I'm actually giving the enemy room to work, then I find a bit more courage to press into those things because I never want to be a person who is by intent or by default allowing the devil room to work in my most important relationships. And my relationships with you are my most important relationships because God says he has placed us all together as a family. Now, we'll talk a little bit next week about how to deliver truth, uh, because that's super important. Some of us have gotten really good at communicating truth and forgot the part about in love, and uh, yeah, that doesn't go well. Now, let me quickly identify three of the ways that we tend to not say what we mean. The first is super obvious. We lie. We deliberately misrepresent the truth. I'm dying inside. I tell you, I'm fine. There are a lot of reasons why people might do this. 
whether it's about themselves or about others. Um, sometimes we do it like overtly. We just completely misrepresent the truth. Other times we lie by omission, right? Ever tell somebody half a story, like the half that makes you look good and not the half where you messed up? Um, sometimes, sometimes we tell people or we tell ourselves we're lying out of kindness, right? You know, Pastor Caden said, John, do you like my shoes? And I'm like, absolutely, Pastor Caden. There's, there's, because I don't want him to feel bad about the fact that he just spent $7,000 on a pair of shoes. Or sometimes it's for self-protection and self-preservation, right? I don't want to, I don't want to get in trouble. And, and we don't want people mad at us, and so we kind of find a way to manipulate and move around. When we are committing to say what we mean and mean what we say, we are going against something that is deeply embedded in our nature. Have you ever noticed that you do not have to teach a child how to lie? Ever come home the day, maybe it's early in the morning, the day after Halloween, and you walk into the kitchen and little Johnny is coming out of the pantry, face absolutely covered in chocolate, wrappers everywhere, and you look at little Johnny and go, did you get into last night's candy? What does Johnny say? No. No, it's in us, that self-preservation. But Jesus says, I'm, I'm calling you to be a, a new creation people, and so I want to invite you to not be governed by fear, but rather by honest and integrous relationships. So lying is one way. Flattery is another way. Flattery is when it's, it's a positive lie, but it's, it's designed to increase your standing in another person's eyes. You've probably seen this at work from the person who is always telling the boss how amazing they are at everything. Here's the problem with flattery. It's not true. And at some point, the person you are flattering is going to find out it's not true because they're, coming, they're going to come face-to-face with reality. And if they have begun to make decisions or govern their lives based on the positive, flattering lie that you are telling them, that is going to be destructive. And so if someone is not doing a good job, there is a healthy way to say, you can do better and maybe I can help you. But we don't want to be a people who are afraid to have honest conversations and then that allows people to walk down a road that's ultimately going to lead to greater frustration. I used to coach Tyler's basketball team when he's in elementary school. Now, my mother-in-law, some of you have met her, is four foot seven, right? So I knew by like fourth grade, Tyler was never going to be an eight-footer. Tyler comes to me one day and says, Dad, I want to play in the NBA. <laughs> Do you think I can play in the NBA? Now, this is a tough one, right? Because who wants to break a kid's heart, burst his bubble in third grade? However, as a person of integrity, I did not think there was a high degree of likelihood that my son was going to be starting in the NBA. So what I said was, if you want to play in the NBA, it's going to take a lot of work, a lot of dedication, a lot of sacrifice, and you're going to have to, and, and you just kind of paint the picture of what it's going to take instead of going, absolutely, Tyler, you're the best basketball player that ever lived, and you can absolutely be in the NBA. We owe truth to each other like we owe truth to our children. Proverbs 28:28, 28, 28, liars hate the people they hurt, and false praise can ruin others. 
So if you think flattering someone is actually good for their self-esteem, the Bible would say it's deeply destructive. There was a Greek philosopher that said, it's better to fall among crows than flatterers, because crows only devour the dead, but flatterers the living. Right? Ouch. So say what you mean. Mean what you say. Here's the third way that we can find ourselves not saying what we mean or meaning what we say. Silence. The passive killer. Just going to bite my tongue and I'm not going to talk. We're, we're in conflict together. Something has happened and I just decide rather than, rather than have an honest conversation with you about how I feel, figure out what you're wrestling with, I just stop talking to you. Ever experienced that? How fun is that? right? When we experience silent treatment, it leaves us wondering how that person actually feels about us because it undermines our confidence and leaves us feeling insecure. Where there is an absence, an absence of truth, an honest conversation, we fill in the gaps, don't we? And how often do we fill them in with something positive and how often do we fill them in with something negative? Always negative, right? So silent, the silent treatment really is a form of passive manipulation, and it's a sign of spiritual immaturity and emotional immaturity. Unless. Sometimes we're silent because we've been taught by someone else that being honest and speaking is only going to cause us to experience deep and significant pain. They have taught us that they are not trustworthy of our honest feelings and communications. And so we can choose wisely with whom we are going to share whatever we need to share. But if, if my orientation to express my dissatisfaction or disfavor to my wife is to not talk to her, that's, that's not good. That's, that's a sign of me being immature. And wouldn't you know it, um, I do that from time to time. It takes courage to speak up when you're unhappy. So about, about a month ago, maybe two months ago, we're coming back from Santa Barbara. And... Um, because I like to drive fast and Wendy likes to stay alive, sometimes she tells me to slow down. So we're, we're coming up toward Gaviota, not at an exceptionally high rate of speed, but I would not have contested a ticket had I got one. And Wendy just kind of looks at me and says, would you mind slowing down? Which is fair, is it not? Oh, heck to the no. Because you are challenging my ability to navigate these corners, these curves, and taking away the one fun thing I get to do today, which is drive fast. So, we get on Highway 1. I set the cruise control at 54, and I sit back. I'm getting passed by anything that can move, right? Semis are passing me uphill. Kids on skateboards. I heard of cows at one point. It's like, we're coming around. And, and Wendy and I have been married and love each other so much. Uh, you know, we've been married for so long, we don't let each other get away with this very long. So after about five minutes, Wendy just looks at me and goes, are you trying to tell me something? And I couldn't even keep a straight face. I'm like, maybe. Would you just drive? Okay. And then we're off to the races. But the fact of the matter was, in that moment, I lacked the courage just to look at Wendy and go, I'd really like to drive fast today or the compassion to realize it was causing her to fear. So I didn't say anything, which said a heck of a lot. Second thing from Tom Holliday, communication is always from the heart. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Jesus says this time in Luke 6. He says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And then this statement, what you say flows from what is in your heart. Now, the general umbrella of what Jesus is teaching about is you can tell if someone is good or bad by what comes out of their mouth. But the secondary statement that he is making, which is equally true, is that what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what is going on in your heart. And so when we hear what comes out of our mouths, from time to time, we need to stop and assess Why did that come out that way? If it comes out of my mouth, it is indicative of something that is happening on my heart. Sometimes when we're talking to someone and the response we get from them seems to be unwarranted, like that's a lot stronger than what I thought I was going to get, rather than begin to immediately push back, perhaps we would be more effective as family if we ask the question, I wonder what is going on in their heart that made them respond that way in this moment. Guys, communication and relationships take work. Can we just, can we just own that, right? It's easier just to get mad and walk away. But if I say something to you and you come back at me strong, I should, as a, as a family member, someone who is practicing agape, I should be asking you what is going on in your heart. This seems bigger than, than maybe the conversation I thought we were having. Second, second story telling on myself. This is Monday. This is the block party, right? So tons of stuff going on, lots of, lots of stuff. And we're doing radio checks. I've got my radio. I've got my earpiece in. I'm trying to get a hold of somebody. I'm walking toward connections with Wendy, and I look at her and I said, hey, is so-and-so on the radio? Because I'm not getting an answer. And she says, maybe your radio isn't working. Totally fair. I said, no, because I checked in with security on Channel 1 a minute ago, and it worked fine. Wendy says, we're not on Channel 1, we're on Channel 2, which I know. Also true and totally fair. My response, however, was something along the lines of, I know what channel we're on, and they are not responding. About right? Yeah, that's about right. I got to tell the truth, she's sitting right there. It's about right. And, and Wendy's got this way of, like, raising half an eyebrow, like, mm, and, and walking. I'm like, oh, okay, that wasn't good. So, so I follow her into connections, and um, she's clearly not super blessed. Uh, and so I apologized, right? Hey, I'm, I'm sorry. Wasn't my best apology, right? But we were a lot of things moving. We get ready to walk out the door, and Wendy comes over and says, do I need to do something different now? That's agape. What I did was out of line. What I did was unwarranted and unfair. But Wendy came to me and said, is there something that I can do that is going to make things better for you? The agape question, what do you need right now? I could have said, yeah, stop telling me things I already know. But fortunately right? My leash with the Holy Spirit is a little bit shorter these days. So I'm already doing some internal processing. I'm trying to do what I'm encouraging you to do. And I'm like, why did I respond that way? And so here's what I came to understand. I was like, I'm used to being in charge. And I am not in charge of this event. I am trying to lead through other people. We have a great team. They don't need me in the mix of anything. But the fact that I'm not in charge of everything 
means I don't have much control. And so I am a little bit insecure about my role and whether or not I'm going to be able to do a good job. Wendy, I'm not entirely certain that I've got my job nailed down and what I need to do. At which point she goes, oh, well, remember we talked about this, and I didn't get mad because she was right again. We had talked about this. You're doing this and this and this and this. So it became really an expression of how you love someone when they are not responding to you in the way that you deserve. You need to communicate. We need to communicate in agape. Oh, here's the last one. I can already tell I'm running out of time this morning. You you tracking with me okay? Okay, we're doing good. We're doing good. Um, Communication that makes an impact is honest. That was the third one. What does that mean? It means when you figure out what's going on in your heart, like I did in that, like, 30 seconds in connections, be honest about what's happening. When you figure out what's going on in your heart that's coming out of your mouth, have the courage to share it. This is why the atmosphere of agape is so critical in a church. Because I want the best for you and you want the best for me, we're not going to judge one another when we share a challenge. I'm a little bit insecure. Well, put on your big boy pants and let's go. Right? Would not have been helpful. But she was committed in that moment to my heart and my well-being. When we share challenges or shortcomings with one another, we're going to champion each other forward. We said last week that, that family was an environment of trust and humility where we care for one another. This kind of communication doesn't happen without trust, and it doesn't happen without humility. I needed to know that when I went to Wendy, she was not going to judge me for the insecurity that I was feeling. That requires trust. And it required humility from Wendy to not go, I already had this conversation, and just kind of go, well, let me help you get to where you need to be. Sometimes we're having those conversations about what's going on in us, and sometimes we're invited to have those conversations about what we see going on in other people. Scripture says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, which means from time to time, we need to lovingly come alongside one another and go, can I just tell you something I'm seeing, and I think Jesus might have something better for you? That's what it means to be faithful, to not let people continue in their brokenness. But if you're not a friend, faithful are the wounds of a friend, don't step into that role. Uh, You've got to earn my trust before I'm willing to be really vulnerable and honest with you, right? Which means if, if you feel like you're a subject matter expert on my life, but we don't have relationship, you probably shouldn't come and share all of your observations with me because you haven't earned the right to be heard. But if we're living in community as a family, we quickly come to the place where we love, respect, and trust one another. I told you 75% of communication that is received is interpreted incorrectly. That's where we started, right? This may help you. Let me explain why. And then Wendy and I are going to just have a quick conversation that may help provide a framework for you for how you can have conversations with family members, work members, church members, when things are getting just a little bit tricky. Are you okay if we do that? Okay. Communication experts say that the words we speak to others can actually produce six, say six, 
Six distinct messages. This leads to communication confusion. Here's how this works. Let me know if you have ever found yourself in this place, right? So you start with what you mean to say. This is what's in your head. Then you have what you actually say, the words that make it out of your mouth. Then there's what the other person hears. This is what actually goes into their ears. But then four is what the other person thinks they heard. Then five, what the other person says about what you said. And six, what you think the other person said about what you said. Six different places for this to go absolutely sideways. Here, here's, let me just walk you through this. Like, what you mean to say. Say somebody gets a haircut. You think it looks nice. What you mean to say. I really like your new haircut. What they hear. You got a haircut. Or what you actually say. Sorry. You got a haircut. What they hear. You got a haircut. What they think they heard. I hate your haircut. What the other person says about what you said. My hair will grow back. You're stuck with that face. What you think the other person said about what you said, I hate you, let's fight. And then with the response, you start all over again. If you have ever thought, how the heck did we get here? All I said was, where do you want to go for dinner? That's why. That's where it goes sideways. So what can we do? I want to show you something that, that Wendy and I came to probably five years into our marriage. It's, it's super simple. Uh, it's something that we've coached a number of other couples in. And you're going to say when you hear this, John, that is the simplest, most basic thing I have ever heard. Granted, however, statistics would say 75% of us are still doing it wrong. So bear with me as we do something called active listening. Wendy, will you join me? Say, hi, Wendy. I don't know why they're laughing. We haven't even started yet. So what is the point of active listening? The point of active listening is not to communicate. It's to hear. The whole goal of active listening is that when I sit with Wendy and we do this exercise, she feels that she has been heard. And then when it's my turn to communicate, I feel that I have been heard. So here's how active listening works. First, you pick a time and a place. I would recommend you don't pick Sunday morning on the platform in front of a couple hundred people. Not going to serve you well. Second, you need to pick a topic, and you need to communicate that topic in advance. One of the times, what have we found is not the best time to have these conversations? When we both get into bed at night, you're closing your eyes, and suddenly I have something to talk about. Correct. Yes. Yes. My, my favorite. Can we talk about it? I'm like, no, we cannot. So pick or your time. You first walk in the door. If also I, if good. If I beat you home or you beat me home, right when you walk in the door, I have something to say. And it's hard to not say it right when you want to say it. It's very hard. <laughs> but you're doing so good. Okay? So you pick a time and a place, you pick a topic, and you pick an end time. Um, sometimes this is really important for whoever you're talking to, uh, so you know you're not giving an hour and a half to this because if you haven't figured it out probably in the first 10 minutes, um, the next 
90 minutes are not going to help you. So um, here's how it works. One person talks, the other person listens. Then the listening person responds back with what they heard. I heard you say there is no editing, there is no editorializing. I am simply being a parrot and repeating back to Wendy what I heard her say which means Wendy can't talk too long because I have attention deficit disorder and I will only remember the last four words she said. So she talks. I say, I heard you say. And when I'm done, I say, is that what you said? And Wendy will say, yes or no. If she says no, then I say, I'm sorry. Would you say it again? And she does it again. And I say, I heard you say... Was I right? No. Okay. Let's try it a third time. And when we're done with this part of Wendy sharing what she wants to share, and and she feels like I have understood her, then I may ask, "Is is there more? And if there is no more, then it's my turn to talk and her turn to listen actively and repeat back to me what she hears me saying. Not every active listening exercise will come to a actionable decision. The point is to make sure that you are both being heard so that when you come to a decision, you both know what the other person thinks. Now, we're having this in the marriage context, but this works in any relationship or any conversation. You want to see if we can pull this off? Can this be a grace and mercy judgment-free zone? Okay. So, so we're going we're gonna to role play a little bit. We're going to pretend um, it's, it's May 1st, We've done our taxes, and we're getting a $3,500 tax return. Yeah, probably not, but hope springs eternal. Um, and Wendy and I are going to talk about what we want to do with it, because unfortunately, we have two different opinions. Uh, Wendy would like us to save it, and I want to go to Hawaii. So, so we have set a time, and Wendy is going to start by talking about what she is feeling and thinking. So uh, our tax return is coming, um, and you know that kind of history has shown I get nervous when our savings account is at a certain point, like too low. I like to have it at a spot where if something happens, I feel a little more comfortable that we could uh, cover whatever happens. And so I was thinking about our tax return and would like to see about putting that money into our savings account because in our move here, we had lots of extra expenses and uh, with travel and moving and all of that. And so I'd really like to look at putting that into our savings account. It's a horrible idea. <laughs> so basically, you're just saying you don't want to have any fun. Did I hear you right? <laughs> so I was saying... Um, okay. All right. We have money coming. I'm a little nervous about our, our savings account being so low. And so I would like to talk about putting that money into our savings account because it makes me nervous that it's gotten as low as it has. So I would like to put that money there in that savings account. Okay. So what I hear you saying is you want to take our tax return and put it in savings because you don't want to have fun with me. And it's more important to you that we're stable than and laughing together. Is that what you said? No. No. Okay. 
I'm going to get it this time. So, I'm going to get it this time. Savings account is getting a little low. Money coming in. I would like to see about putting that money into our savings account because I'm a little nervous about how low our savings account has gotten. Okay. So what I hear you saying is we have $3,500 coming back in our tax return, and you feel nervous when our bank account gets to a certain level. And so since we've incurred some moving expenses, um, you would like to put our money from our tax return into the savings account, and that would make you feel more stable. Yes. Did I hear you right? You did hear me right. Is there more? <laughs> we didn't practice past this point, so I'm really curious. <clears throat> no, but I'm very open to talking about if you have other um, things that you would like to do with that. Oh, okay. So, um, so you remember the other day we're driving down Highway 1, and um, the cows were passing us. And... You, you were wearing, I think you were wearing um, uh, your white shoes and your, your faded jeans, and the, the sun was kind of coming over the hill. And, and I said, hey, that reminds me of a Hawaiian sunset, and wouldn't it be great if we went to Hawaii? And I think you said, you know, maybe we could talk about sometime doing that. And so this seems like it's one of those sometimes. And so I'd, I'd like to talk about maybe going to Hawaii because it's really important to me to go to Hawaii. And I love the beach. And this is a good beach, but it's not the same beach. And, um, uh, you know, I just, I just really think that uh, we should trust God with our money and go to Hawaii. So I would love to hear more. Um, but if you could just kind of go backwards and make it, a little shorter, because I don't know that I can repeat all of said trip on road to Hawaii. Okay, so I need to. I need to. Yes, if you could shorten it, that would be helpful. All right. Um, we have a tax return coming back for thirty five hundred dollars, and when we moved here from Washington, uh, in that transition year, we didn't have a lot of time to spend together, and. My love language is quality time. So I would love to take the money that we're getting back in the tax return to go to Hawaii and spend time with you and see if we can look at our budget to find other places where we could save that money till it gets to the place where you're comfortable. Darn right. <laughs> Darn right. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> what do you mean it doesn't work like that? No, that does. I'm talking about the, the, audi yeah, the yeah. audience This is why you do it in private, not with audience participation. <laughs> uh, so what I hear you saying is um, you, we have $3,500 coming back. And... Um, we haven't gotten to spend a whole, a whole lot of time together uh, lately than lots of things that have been happening over the last couple of years. Um, and one of your love languages is quality time. And so you would like to look at taking that $3,500 and going on a trip possibly to Hawaii um, so that we could spend that time and then look at other ways we might be able to save and help our savings account get back up. Crushed it. Crushed it. So you can applaud for her, too. I mean, hers is really good. 
the point is not to figure out what we're doing with the money. The point of this exercise is to make sure I understand where Wendy's coming from and Wendy understands where I'm coming from. And so we would probably leave this conversation saying, can we come back in two days and, and be ready to make a decision about what we're doing with that money? Because that gives me time to process how you're feeling, you to process how I'm feeling, and maybe together we'll come up with a bit of a compromise. So what, what we need to remember for these conversations is just, um, I heard you say, is that what you said, and is there more? And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about how to communicate, especially uh, around, I was going to say around feelings, but then other guys that come back. Um, <laughs> we'll talk a little bit more about communication next week. We'll just leave it at that. We're not gonna, I'm not gonna, we're not going to beat the drum and pass the rain stick. Don't get, don't get freaked out. Um, boy, I probably could have, I wish I had closed the service as well as I closed that listening exercise, because now I feel like I'm floundering. Um, we just want to be a people who can be open and honest and communicate well. So um, we thought we'd show you one of the ways that we've done it. If you're interested in conversations, if you're interested in coaching, um, we did it with these guys when they were getting married, so they're experts at it too. So we got all sorts of people who can, who can coach you in an active listening exercise. Uh, let me pray for you. We're going to push pause, and we're going to pick up this kind of communication conversation next Sunday. God, you are good to us. And your grace is abundant and amazing. And for that, we say thank you. God, thank you for placing us in a family and loving us as profoundly as you do. Lord, your grace, your peace, your hope, and your joy rest upon your people as they go into their week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.